Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Ralph Barrett. Ralph Barrett was born in Upper Island Cove and is a founding member of the Avalon Sail Squadron, who served as commander of the Avalon for four years and was inducted into the Volunteer Hall of Fame as a result of his work with numerous organizations. Ralph is also a painter and has an avid love of fossils. And we're here and we're going to talk today about Upper Island Cove memories. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Upper Island Cove. Uh, for those who you, for those who might be listening who don't know where Upper Island Cove is, can you can you place it for us geographically? Yeah, well, it's uh, north side of Conception Bay, and uh, some of the more well known places, Harbour Grace, Spaniards Bay, and it's it's sort of in between there, but it's three miles off the main road, and. Uh, so the easiest way to get there is to go to Spaniards Bay and then kind of come up from there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so when were you born? What, what year were you born? Do you mind me asking? I know this is rather personal I'm still question. 39. You're still 39, <laughs> yes. I had an aunt who was 39 forever, I think, yeah. <laughs> what decade are we talking about? Yeah. 1938. 1938. Yeah. And what was life like then? So that was before Confederation. What was life like yeah. in Upper Island yeah. Cove? Oh, it was uh, pretty sparse, uh, you know, everybody had to, money was scarce. Yeah. Uh, everybody had to work for everything, grow their own vegetables, all their own vegetables, uh, keep their own animals, you know, horse, cows, hens, pigs, sheep, goats, uh, whatever was necessary to ma- maintain a good life source. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like to be a, a child in, in Upper Island Cove? You had to do a lot of work. Yeah. What, oh, were, yeah. what, what kind of work were you engaged kind in? Of work. Well, first thing uh, after school, well, the, during colder weather, the, you had to go to a well because nobody had plumbing and, and uh, facilities like that. So you had to go to a well and bring so many buckets of water to, uh, for the cow in the barn and same for the other animals that pers- people might have. And then uh, it was late in the evening, so then you had to make sure there was a good supply of food in the pen for the animals yeah. uh, to get through them through the night. And uh, so it was constant work, 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 and it didn't matter what your age was. Uh, when the ta- time came for uh, spring, you had to get ready for cleaning out the barn. You had to shovel out all the manure. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> it was a pleasant job. And then we had to prepare the gardens then for planting vegetables and and so it was nonstop really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what would you what would you do for fun when you were a boy? Fun? Uh, well, we didn't have iPads obviously. No. But uh, we made our own fun, and, and uh, that that could include anything from uh, playing hockey, but. Uh, you couldn't. You could not buy a pair of boots with with skates attached. I mean, you had that was separate items. So if you had an old pair of boots, and you buy the pair of skates and screw them onto the old boots that you had, and uh, you make your own hockey sticks. There's no such thing as buying a hockey stick. So uh, that that was one thing. And then in the summertime we walk a couple of miles to, at least two miles to the nearest pond, 
swimming. Yeah. And uh, what else do we do? Well, in the fall, if somebody killed a pig, uh, we all knew where the pig, who was going to have the pig killed, and there was a, a gentleman around who was familiar with that sort of process. He killed a pig and strung it up on a tripod of sticks, and as he uh, got it out, we always wanted to make sure that he was going to save us the bladder. Okay. And then you found an old gentleman who had a stem pipe, old pipe, tobacco pipe, and we get this spare stem that he didn't need, and we'd stick that in the bladder and inflate the bladder, and have somebody tie it over with a string, and then hang it in the shed till it dried for four or five days, and that was our football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you, you made do with what you had, I guess. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, oh yeah, guaranteed. Yeah. Now, one one of the things that I wanted to have a little chat with you about, which I I think uh, happened a lot in in rural communities, but which I know you you said happened a, a great deal in Upper Island Cove was. Uh, there were there were certain families that had lots of lots of people. There were lots of mercers, and so to distinguish one group of mercers from another, there would be nicknames that would be developed. So, can you tell me a little bit about some of the the nicknames that that the different different families might have? Well, it's it's difficult to tell you a little bit about nicknames because probably uh, Upper Island Cove, I think, as far as I could find out over the years, that it's probably the home. World, probably <laughs> winning the World Series when it comes to <laughs> nicknames, nicknames, yeah, because yeah. yeah. there were there were uh, basic family names: uh, Mercers, Coombs, uh, Cranes, Lynches, Drovers, Young, and uh, Reeds, Adams, McCarthy. There are a number of others too, but uh, it was definitely no good to, for anybody to go there and ask for a, a John Mercer. Right, because there'd be six no. John Mercers, yeah. Because yeah, there, there are a number of John Mercers. <laughs> right, yeah. But uh, So you needed a way to distinguish one John Mercer from another. Yeah, and the only way they could do that, because everybody in that community at that time, when I went to school, there were about 1,700 residents. There. Oh, this is a sizable community. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody knew everybody else. Right. So, But if, if you went there by chance and asked for a John Griffin... Well, John Griffin is a mercer. Right. That's his Christian name, is Mercer, but uh, the Griffin part is a, is a nickname. So everybody knows who he is. Yeah. Same with uh, Howard Tooch or Howard uh, Claver or Jim Messer or uh, Jim Nish. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you zeroed right in on You knew exactly who you were talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're no fooling around then. Yeah, and and some of these nicknames had great stories associated with them about where where they where they originated these nicknames. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is there is one there. Um, a gentleman inherited the name of uh, uh, wasn't inherited. It was attached to him. It was Spider? Spider. Yeah. Okay. And and, and so he he was a mercer, and uh, I think his name I'm not sure what his first name was now, but. Uh, he, his wife, um, always for many years had, had trouble with varicose veins. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there was, they didn't have doctor clinics back then, 
Uh, one doctor was in Harbour Grace and he catered to all of Harbour Grace, Brian's Cove, Southside and Upper Island Cove. So if you wanted a you had medical issues, phone the doctor's office. If you could find a phone, there were only about two phones there. Right. And uh, he, he'd come up, and uh, somebody, uh, this Mr. Mercer uh, and his wife with varicose veins heard about the doctor being there, seeing another patient. Mm -hmm. And so she suggested maybe you should go over and see will the doctor come well, over while he's here yeah yeah and, and diagnose her problem with the varicose veins because every now and then they'd start to bleed so uh when the the doctor came over he uh looked at her and he said to the husband the best thing you can do for that is you go to your barn because everybody had barns then sure yeah go yeah. to your barn and up around the beams You'll see spider webs, you know, a lot of them. So you, you gather up spider webs and bring it in, and when the, the, the varicose vein breaks out, you just put the spider webs over that. So he, he ran out of spider webs, and he was going to a neighbor's barn and somebody else's barn, and the <laughs> word got out pretty quick. <laughs> he was looking for spider so webs. So he, he, he got nickname of Spider. Right. And, the, and this name would be inherited then, so... Basically, yeah, yeah. Basically, it got inherited by the the families. But uh, another good example there is, is Griffin. Uh, I mean, Griffin is a, is a true name, but uh, I I had an aunt, my my father's sister, uh, Barrett, and uh, she married a John Mercer. Uh, John Mercer. Uh, was known that my uncle he was known as Griffin. So you ask for Johnny Griffin, everybody knows who you're talking about. Yeah. And he, the name originated because his mother was a Griffin. Ah, okay. Yeah. So uh, her sons after that, she still became known as Griffin. Right. One one, one little story was that uh, the son. Uh, John Griffin, my cousin, then. Uh, he and I were about 13 or 14, and uh, we tackled, harnessed up their horse and cart and went to Spaniards Bay to get uh, a load of sawdust and chaff for, you know, either to bedding for the animals or something like that. On the way down, we saw this man by the side of the road in Bishop's Cove asked me my name, and I told him, you know, you want to know what's your mother's name, I told him, and you want to know your father's name, I told him that. And, of course, we're all Barrett's, but uh, asked my cousin, Harry, uh, what's your name? And he said, Harry Mercer, sir. And he said, well, what's your father's name? He says, Johnny Griffin. <laughs> and he said, well, what's your mother's name? He said, he said Glad Barrett. Because... <laughs> <laughs> My aunt, even though until she died, she was always known as Glad, ba Glad Barrett. Yeah, she, yeah. She, her name was retained. Right. Yeah. There was another story that you had mentioned about uh, a pair of trousers. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> this, uh, that's a gentleman who passed away, I suppose, about, at about 94, 95 years old. Uh, passed away about five or six years ago. And, <clears throat> of course... Asking what what boys or, or young 
children did growing up. I mean, if there's a big skittery rock, there's a big flat rock on an angle somewhere, uh, nothing else to do. You sit on that, walk up to the top, you sit on that and slide down on your backside over the over this rock. And of course, you know what happened after a hundred times of sliding down there, the two cheeks of his overalls <laughs> were worn through. <laughs> but these were back in the Depression years that uh, when everybody was very, very poor and, and the little convenience stores there are no supermarkets right. or anything like that. So yeah. little convenience stores, they were limited in what they did handle and carry. Yeah. There's no such thing as going in there to buy cloth. And you wouldn't buy cloth anyway, you know, for two little holes in, in the backside of the little fellow's jeans or pants. So uh, the only bit of cloth his mother had at the time was black. So she sewed the black patch uh, on each cheek. So thereafter, and until <laughs> he was always known as Georgie Blackass. <laughs> <laughs> right up until the time he died, yeah. Right up until the time he died. Even his, <laughs> even his sons now, you know, retain the, the same title. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if they know... Where it, it where it came from? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was I was thinking as you were telling the story about uh, you know the fellow going around and collecting the spider's webs, you know, and that's an old an old uh, cure that I I had heard that before that spider's yeah. webs would stop stop bleeding. Yeah, were there other charms or or cures? Like how how would you get rid of how would you get rid of warts in uh, Upper Island Cove? Uh, there was there was uh, one uh, particular one. There was a, a lady that I knew, and and she had some kind of extraterrestrial power. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. She, she could, was a charmer. Was she? she could charm away yeah. warts. Yeah. What would she do? Uh, well, she wouldn't exactly tell you because I, I remember one time I had one or two on on my one of my, one or two of my fingers, and uh, my mother sent me out to her, and uh, she looked at it. She said, "Just oh." Okay, all right. That'll be gone in a couple of days. Sure enough, a couple of days they're gone. Yeah. So uh, didn't put anything on, and she didn't touch it. She just looked at it, and that was it. Yeah. A fellow from um, Bay Roberts told me once that there was a woman in Spaniards Bay who would who would get rid of warts. And uh, he had gone to see her because he had warts on his hands, backs of his hands. And uh, and she, she did the same thing, looked at his, looked at his hands. And then said, all right, now you have to leave here without saying thank you. You weren't allowed to say thank you to her. You just had to go. And, and, and he, you know, he stayed around a bit and had a little chat. And then he, he stood up to leave and he said, all right, miss, thank you very much. And she got right mad at him. She's like, no, she's like, you're not allowed to say thank you. She said, get out, get out of the house, get out of the house. <laughs> Chased him out of the house. And, uh, and sure enough, his warts, his warts went away, uh, that, yeah, uh, yeah. that there were people who could do that. There was one, uh, yeah, there was one other older gentleman that I knew of too. And and if you had a toothache, oh yeah, uh, go to him. And uh, but you had to get your mother or somebody to make a little tiny, little small bag, probably a little bag about two inches square or something like that. Didn't have to be done to perfection or nothing. With a, with a string on it, so that you could put it around your neck. Oh, and, and uh, wear it. And uh, if if you had toothache, you go to him, and he'd charm you your tooth and he'd put he'd mark something on a little piece of paper and he'd put it in that little pouch that you had on your 
around your neck <clears throat> and toothache got better. Huh. So it was like a little spell of some kind. That he had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were, there other, were there other supernatural stories? Were there things you were af- afraid of when you were a kid? Oh, there was always, always stuff that was forced on you by older people, yeah. ghosts and you know, all that stuff. And did you believe it when you were a kid? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think it was probably a method of control. Yes. You know, they didn't want you to do this or didn't want you to do that. So don't you go up there because there's a ghost up there on the corner. <laughs> <clears throat> stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you about uh, was something that you, you had introduced me to. And, and I should say how, how we met, I guess. I, I was giving a talk at the rooms about mummers and mummers traditions, uh, Christmas time traditions in Newfoundland. And after the, after the program, I know people were asking questions and, and you put up your hand and said, do you know anything about teak night? Yeah. And I had to confess that I had never heard of teak night before. So for those who, who don't know about teak night, uh, or Teak Day, what is that? Teak Day. That's, teak Day. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting subject, uh, to say the least. Teak Day, well, it, it originated in, in Ireland and Scotland and um, among the Irish people mm-hmm. because uh, it was, it was 16, 1680, 1685, uh, King James of England, he, he was... Catholic. A lot of people in his under him, he had appointed to important positions within within the British government, and and he made sure they were Catholic. But anyway, he got deposed or overthrown by William of Orange, <clears throat> and a Protestant, and who removed James and removed all those Catholic positions. And uh, the people, Irish people in Ireland and uh, Scotland, <clears throat> were uh, became a bit radicalized over this issue, mm. and uh, so the there were especially uh, males, younger males, uh, they they were radicalized and and uh, caused all kinds of problems. Over there, <clears throat> they were known as <clears throat> Teagues, T-E-A-G-U-E-S, or T-A-I-G. There's two, two, two words, but, they're basically, they, but they meant the same thing. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, the Protestant people in Northern Ireland were very opposed to those uh, Teagues, and, and they'd go around... Uh, not just Christmas time, but any time in the year, you know, 12 months, and uh, creating problems. But, uh, however, when the immigrants came from Ireland and Scotland and to, uh, to the New World, to here in Newfoundland, I, I don't know, <clears throat> it's, it's funny, <laughs> and it's, it's a mystery how it got in Upper Island Cove. Yeah. Uh, in Upper Island Cove, the... the Population uh, is about ninety percent uh, Protestant and about ten percent Catholics, but uh, th- this ar- arose in in Upper Island I I don't know when. It might have been right at the beginning of the first group, but um, it, it, the thing got reversed in, as such. 
<coughs> in in Uprylenkov, it was the the Protestant young males who became the Teagues or the Teaks. It got called Teaks then, mm-hmm. but but they only did it on Old Christmas Day. Right. Uh, when they got out of bed in the morning, uh, they had to make sure they had a bit of green something to put on their person. Uh, around their arm or around their waist, a green ribbon or a green kerchief or something like that. And then they'd have a stick. A stick could be something like a broom handle or, you know, a couple of feet long or three feet long or it could be a branch off a tree. And uh, just one wandering around. I mean, not, not as a big group. Might be only two fellows or three or four like that. But there might be several of those groups, and uh, if they met you, I mean, uh, uh, not an adult, but somebody of their own age who did not have a green decoration, uh, you were subject to getting a, a good whack across smack the back stick. Yeah, yeah. But uh, strangely enough, in in Upper Island Cove, during the teak day, well, th- that that doesn't exist now. Yeah, and I'm sure awful lot of younger people don't know anything about it. Sure, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the the uh, Catholic young people won't go outdoors, would not go outdoors <laughs> on, on, on Teak Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for fear but of it, getting a smack. Yeah, but, it, but, but it was opposite. It, it was reversed. See? Right, yeah. So it was the, the Protestants who were the Teaks now. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. And you were saying that on, on Old Christmas Day... But it only lasted, like, from, from the time you got out of bed until lunchtime. Right. At lunchtime, it was over. Yeah. So you only had three or four hours. <laughs> and this would be the day that your mothers would be taking down the Christmas decorations. Exactly. So there would be some streamers and whatnot yes, around. Yeah. They'd, they'd have the paper streamers across the ceiling and around the windows and stuff like that. And, and this would be your source of green material. Yeah. Because some of this crepe paper... Uh, would be red, some would be green, and uh, the green stuff was uh, what you tied around your waist three or four times, or across uh, your chest like a sash, or yeah. you know stuff like that. Yeah, it's I'm I'm fascinated by this tradition because there was this tradition in other places uh, of what were known as ribbon fools, and. Uh, that would happen throughout the Christmas season, but it, but quite often on Old Christmas Day. And it was, uh, again, you'd be decorated with ribbons and you yeah. would have a stick, which some people would call a swab. Yeah. And and the same thing, you would go around the community and you would beat people with this stick. But I'd only ever heard it called Teak Day uh, from you in Upper Island Cove. It's, yeah. a, it's yeah. an interesting little tradition. And I'm sure, like you said, that most of the young people there today don't, don't even know about it. No. When do you think it died out? I would uh, estimate probably about nine, mid-1950. Yeah. Yeah. Was Bonfire Night a popular holiday there as well? Oh, yeah. So what would you do for oh, Bonfire everybody, Night? Everybody looked forward to Bonfire Night. Yeah. And, well, it was right after harvesting of, of the vegetables, potatoes and uh, in particular. And, and uh, so before the potatoes were dug, you'd go in the garden and you'd pull all the stalks. Mm-hmm. And, and the stalks, you put them all in a big pile there in the garden. And, uh, of course, they were pretty dried out by that. By that time, and then uh, if you saw an old fence somewhere that was falling down, you'd, you'd take that or take parts of it, and uh, somebody had an old tire, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd get that and throw in, 
But you always made sure, too, that you had uh, a pocket or a couple of pockets full of potatoes. Okay. And and you, you threw the potato when you got the fire going, you threw your potatoes into the fire. And uh, you kept the fire going, but as the fire, everything had burned out, and all you had was a big red glob of cinders, so I uh, get a stick down the route around trying to find your potatoes, <laughs> and uh, which were black as, as anything that you see here. And uh, so then uh, there was a, there'd be a hard crust, so you, you get that off. But the potato inside was, was perfect, but totally different taste with the, you know, from the flame and the smoke. Uh, and <laughs> the burning and, uh, rubber from the tires, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it was really healthy for you. Yeah. Not very often you had a tire. No. 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 I was told that they were great, though, because they bur- they would burn really well if you could oh. find a tire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it was good for the flame, but some quite often were not fussy because of the black, sticky yeah, smoke yeah. and all that stuff, you know. And would people get up to mischief? Would they steal stuff? Now and then. Yeah. Now and then, yeah. If somebody had something left out by their barn or somewhere like that. Yeah, I had heard stories of uh, people, you know, liberating doors from outhouses or the entire outhouse. And uh, Yes, I've heard similar <laughs> things to, to that as well. Were you well? Were you a well-behaved child or did you get up to mischief? Uh, yeah, I, I was. Were you? I was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. back then, I mean... Uh, you you just didn't have to beware of your parents, but you also had to be aware of every every other adult. Right. Because any adult in the community had free for all. If he saw you doing something wrong, I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't mind all off his captain giving you a, a smack up the side of the head with his captain, probably shout at you and tell you, "Don't you ever let me see you do that again." So. And word did get around, you know, back to your parents. That's, of course, yeah. That's the thing you'd be concerned about. You became, uh, you, you said you did went to grade 11, and then you became a teacher immediately after. Immediately after, yeah. yeah. Oh, a highly educated grade 11. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> what more can you ask for? Yeah. Yeah. And first teaching assignment, I had to get on the train, get somebody to take me into the train in Whitburn, and head on down to central Newfoundland, which is... Probably just something like the spacecraft no flying out to Pluto. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, and principal of a two room school and with about uh, four, five grades in the one room. Yeah, and barely older than the students who were, who were there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that was a common thing, I think, in, in, uh, at that oh, point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Do you have a favorite memory of, uh, of Upper Island Cove? A lot of memories, and and it's difficult to uh, difficult to pick one. Pick one out, yeah, yeah. But I tried. I've tried to record uh, stuff. Uh, I think so far now I got nine books, uh, nothing published, but nine books. Nine books of memories written. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not, but they always get some little thing uh, connected with. Uh, Upper Island Cove, like I lived in Corner Brook for got transferred Corner Brook years ago, and, and uh, while I was there, involved in a number of volunteer things, and one was regional commissioner with scouting. In 1982 was the 75th anniversary of the scouting in Canada, and 
national office and provincial office were encouraging leaders and groups to do something to commemorate the event. And I happened to, I, I was chomping at the bit, I wanted to do something. I came into St. John's for business meetings and I heard Mr. Don Kelland on radio several times looking for businesses or organizations to donate money for a playground facility for the old Janeway down in Pleasantville. So, uh, anyway, by the time I got back Corner Brook, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. That was early March. I'll, it was the year after Terry Fox mm -hmm. attempted to run across Canada, so I can't do that, but I can go around Newfoundland in a boat. So, <laughs> I, I convinced a, a cousin of mine to come along with me, and, and that's Harry Mercer. And a uh, company in Cornwall loaned me a 20 foot open boat, uh, my own outboard motor, and uh, issued a press release to all news media all over the province. Left Corner Brook and in contact with all news media two or three times every day. It took seven days to get to St. John's. And it was so successful because everybody was made the telephone lines hot coming into the, <laughs> into the, the Janeway Hospital. Uh, the response publicity was so successful that they decided to make it into the Janeway Telethon that oh. we have today. I feel like we could probably go on for, for days, uh, but we're, we're running out of time. So I want to thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to The Living Heritage. Uh, Living Heritage is a program here uh, with uh, CHMR and the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm Dale Jarvis. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. You've been listening to Ralph Barrett. No relation. Well, maybe there is a relation because we, 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 we don't know that. Maybe there is a relation. Um, I'm sure if we go back uh, far enough, we can find the Barrett connection. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>